Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? <laughs> I want a chocolate. Hey everybody, welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast, which is now operating under bi-weekly a different name. And the reason why I'm doing this is my workload has been so heavy covering just Raptor stuff, going to the games, pumping out so much content for the website that I need somebody else to bounce off of for league-wide stuff and to get an outsider's perspective on the Raptors. And in doing so, Trevon Heath, Trey, a friend of mine is a guy I wanted to bring on and we'll be doing a bi-weekly podcast which supplements and sometimes takes over the slot of the weekly podcast. We'll be consistent. The weekly podcast may come in and out just because of how many games come at certain points of the week, what my workload looks like. But here we are to talk about it. And yes, Trey, Trevon Heath, the pull-up Trey because Trey is pulling up because it's basketball, all that good stuff. Uh, feel free to introduce yourself to the uh, your your new fans, your new listeners. Fans. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but um, yeah, my name is Trey. Um, what I want to bring here is just essentially like our natural conversation with me and Samson always have. For me and him talk every day for years now, and all we talk about is basketball. Sometimes we don't always dis- always agree. Like uh, I think Jason Tatum's winning the MVP this year. He doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I kind of want to bring that energy here and then offer uh, a different light to what all the incredible stuff that he's already doing here. Yeah, and so what I've found over the past however many years of doing all these different podcasts is that what I've been doing is I like other people's work sometimes, and I bring people on who do the work, and they are looking at some of the same things that I have. Trey is a dude who watches the games. He's been on this podcast before. I know he has a good insight for basketball, but he's not thinking about it from the same perspective as a lot of the writers that I bring on. And so I think there will be some moments where we're able to clash and some moments we're able to kind of bounce off of each other in a complimentary manner. And hopefully what everybody gets out of that is just a a good podcast. I'm expecting, I'm hoping this is the best one on the channel. That's uh, that's my great hope for whatever this is. Do you want to get into the Raptors though? Does that sound good? Let's do it. Okay, so these Raptors, I know you're you're a very big proponent of some other teams in the league. I know that, but also not to get it twisted, everybody. Trey's number one rooting interest is these Raptors. I, but, I cried when Kobe Bryant. <laughs> what would you do? What you do when they won the championship? Where were you? What happened? I was I was still in school, and literally, I I don't know. I can't even. I shouldn't say this, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow okay hey yeah okay that's a nice that's a nice little tidbit we'll we'll keep moving 
one form or another, offensively, defensively. Now, the Raptors, they were 23rd, I believe, before this last these last two games. Yeah. Now, they are third in offensive rating. They are eighth in defensive rating. Does that pass the sniff test for you? When you look at this team, you've watched every game so far. Yeah. Do the, does that ranking surprise you? It surprises me. Yes and no to a sense. Um, like defensively, obviously, they're doing exactly – they're following the same formula that worked last year. They're forcing a lot of turnovers. They're getting in transition. They're scoring. And they're they're deter- deterring people from getting to the rim, although they don't have a, a shot blocker. Well, they, they have Coloco now, but they don't have a consistent shot blocker in their, their lineup. Offensively, what I think is really crazy, which I don't think will pass the sim test, is that the huge key to them last year winning games, especially against really good teams, was that they were grabbing offensive rebounds at like a crazy rate. And this year, if I'm not mistaken, they're at bottom 10 in offensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. But what's correlated with that is also that they're top five in three-point percent, which is absolutely nuts because that was the crutch of the team the entire year. I don't think that's going to hold up. I do think it will be better than last year just simply because the the level that Pascal's reached to, he's able to manipulate defenders in ways that only some of the highest tier superstars are able to. And guys like Gary Trent, OG Ananobi are able to hit threes and force the defense to really make decisions. And they're getting much easier shots than they've probably ever gotten in their career. So for people who are listening to this, watching this, you can go to Yahoo Sports, I believe my video on Gary Trent and his kind of relationship with Pascal Siakam is live. You can watch that. It's a breakdown. But you're hitting on something there is that Pascal Siakam, his dependability to create those shots, we've seen the statistics passed around is that the points per possession on doubles, it's not Luka, it's not Giannis, it's not Tatum, it's not those guys. Pascal Siakam is the most efficient decision maker and the Raptors as a team are the most uh, efficient finishers out of doubles in the NBA. That's a huge deal. The interesting thing, though, is obviously that, as you said, the Raptors are doing a really good job of limiting attempts at the rim. They still don't protect it well. They're still bad at that. But they went from 13th last year to now they're the sixth ranked in the NBA at keeping guys away from the rim. When When you look at these games, is this just getting a little bit better at their scheme? Do you think that Coloco makes that big a difference? Do you, like, what's, what's, the, what's the, the calculus here that you're seeing? I think, um, A, the second half of the year, they're one of the best defenses in the league. And a big reason is Precious Achua. He's, when he's in those lineups, you, you have four to five defenders who can all switch, who are able to defend players at several different sizes, and also are able to take the ball and run in transition, which is a crazy advantage. So I think um, defensively, I think a lot of that will hold up if if we're able to insert pressures with those lineups and the shooting is able to maintain at a somewhat decent level. I don't think they're going to shoot like the 21 Utah Jazz, but um, if they're able to shoot at league average, you can keep a lot of those lineups and have those um, game busters like those Precious and uh, Boucher lineups that are bludgeoning everybody right now. That's been prior, I should say prior to the Hawks game is because the Hawks game and, you know, this most recent game, they kind of throw any on off numbers, lineup numbers completely out of whack. They they won by a combined like what, 75, 76 points. That's why they vaulted up the standings in offensive rating, defensive rating. And so it's tough to look at any of those things 
qualitatively, quantitatively, however you want to, you know, kind of parse through that, it's tough. But the things that were consistent before that, even as they were kind of in the middle of the road here, three and three or something, was that Pascal Siakam wins minutes and Boucher and Precious win minutes. Everything else, uh, OG wins minutes as well. Those guys were correlated with good, good stretches. Of those four, has anybody surprised you so far? Besides Pascal, because we'll we'll keep him for later. But my my God, like, you know, have you been surprised by the rotations? Have you been surprised by roles that guys are playing? Has anything popped off? I think the biggest surprise, and it probably shouldn't because he was really good last year, but um, Boucher has probably turned into one of the best bench bigs in the league. Even when he's not hitting threes, he's probably the best roller on the team. He's able to block shots, and he's really good in help situations. It still forces you to make decisions and deters, deters people from the rim. And you saw that uh, yesterday where he was able to go in transition, have a little Euro step, score, and still make those plays. A lot of bigs off the bench aren't able to do that. And that's why when you come in with a Precious, who's a, right now he's probably like a 90 percentile defender, and a guy like Boucher who can grab offensive rebounds, finish in the lane in a serious rolling threat, you're killing a lot of these bench lineups just simply because those are probably extended starters to our team, whereas they're playing against natural big lineups, natural bench lineups. Yeah. The The other thing, too, is that the Raptors have been much better at rebounding the ball on their own end. That I think Lewis tweeted out a stat today. I haven't checked this, but I believe that they're second in defensive rebound rate. And the, for a team that was not a good defensive rebounding team last year, to completely switch that around, is a little bit of absurd, especially as you mentioned, a big part of their identity last year was the offensive rebounding, grabbing those extra possessions because they don't have that much in the way of creation. They have to get that. They have to win the possession battle. But now it's like, okay, we're going to be a little bit more clinical offensively. We're still going to try and get out in transition, but we're not going to allow those second chances defensively. And whether it's Pascal, Precious, Boucher, OG, everybody kind of like pinching in and being a little bit more heady in how they approach the defensive glass. I don't know how they swung it this big, but they've swung it. Do, yeah. do you see like a secret? Is there a chemist in there making everything work? Or is this just, yeah, is it a rising tide lifts all boats or is it all boats just got a little bit bigger? What's the, what's the answer there? Oh, I, I think all the boats just got a bit bigger, especially when you have two guys who are six, nine, that are actually, being able to operate as perimeter creators, it allows you to play so many different lineups just simply because you can create and get angles in certain passes or in certain lanes that you wouldn't be with a natural, um, I wouldn't say natural positionless now, but um, just in the current sense of what the NBA is with a smaller point guard, you're able to keep Boucher in those lineups. You're able to keep pressures in those lineups because they're still going to be able to generate good good to solid offense simply just because of the gravity that Pascal is creating and what um, Scotty's able to do with his passing leap. I know Lewis had a really good article on that mm-hmm. the other day or today, actually. Yeah. And what they're able to do on the offensive end and maintain that, that level, you're also throwing in this ultra weird and wacky um, bench bench lineups that are, have three, six, nine dudes who are able to switch positions and do everything on their end. So, I think it's the funkiness of the team. It just throws a lot of people out of whack. You saw it with the Cavs, who were their only loss. And um, just the level of play that we've seen from Pascal and Scotty to a degree. That's one of the, I believe it was Pascal, 
OG, Banton, Boucher, and Birch. It was sorry, not OG, Precious instead of OG. That was the lineup we saw last night. And then after that, we saw Pascal come out and Banton come out. And I believe it was Precious, Birch, Boucher, and OG and Scotty. And both of those lineups won their minutes. It's really impressive that, you know, because last year everything hinged on those big lineups on Pascal as a creator. The Raptors also played the highest frequency transition game of the whole NBA season last night. 30% of their possessions were in transition, which they're currently on the season, I believe, 21% of their possessions come in transition, which is really high. Yeah. But 30, you know, it's a lot higher. You work in marketing. You know what like a 9% uptick is. You know, that's that's a meaningful amount. That would get yeah. you a bonus or something. The Raptors are in bonus territory, and they're now 5-3. and three. Through eight games... How do you feel about that? And do you remember what your prediction was? I think I said four and three through seven when that first gauntlet came out. I was like four and three, three and four sounds about right. But five and three now, are you surprised? Is this about what you thought? This was about what I thought. Like the first seven games, I was on the same page with you, around four and three. But you um, thought they'd lose to Cleveland, huh? I did think they would lose to Cleveland. <laughs> 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 yeah. When, when they were able to beat the Cavs, it, it sort of reconnected to me that whatever team that they're going to play, they have this extreme advantage that everybody is going to have to deal with. The Cavs have are, have a top three defense currently, but because they had a wing like OG, for example, or uh, a special type of four like Pascal that is able to force their bigs to come out and have to make decisions and there's a guy who's six nine as well who's able to cross the boards and fill the exact same roles um, that a normal big would it, with OG's talent and speed and strength. I think I'm more optimistic heading into heading into the other games, just simply that I think they're going to be able to get a high seed simply because they play together. Everybody knows exactly what they're doing, and there's a lot of continuity. So within the first half of the season, they should be able to rack up a lot of wins, and their defense should carry over regardless of how well they shoot. That's when I thought of a Coro. I talked to Bowser to Bowser. If people listen to the outside looking in episode between the the Cavs and the Raptors, and we talked about OG presenting like a unique problem to the Cavs. And that bore out for sure in, in that first game. But on top of that, to see not only is it other teams, maybe they have like a wing and it's that, okay, well, a Coro's in a really tough spot tonight, but it's that, the Raptors, it's like, it's not just a Coro, it's Mitchell, it's Garland. It's yeah. no matter what happens. And the Raptors, they also have guys that not only will they create, but especially with Pascal kind of taking on a, a larger role and maybe focusing more on getting offensive rebounds, getting after it on the glass. I don't know how he has energy for it, but he does. It's a very unique problem in this era of the NBA for somebody to say, if you switch, you might feel it on the back end. And granted, the Raptors haven't been a great offensive rebounding team this year, but they certainly made the Cavs feel it on that night. And that's maybe the the unique quality of this team is to win in different ways and whatever suits them at any point in time. Because I'm, I'm as we said, the three-point shooting might not suit them forever, but it's been doing so, I guess, at the start of this season. I'm glad you said high seed. Does that mean high seed? That means top four, you're thinking? Top four. I originally had them as, I believe, a fifth or sixth seed, but... Top four, I think, is pretty doable just considering, A, a lot of the other like contenders are, are starting out really slow. The Raptors have tons of continuity, and Pascal's hit a level that we, 
I don't think anyone was expecting. Actually, he expected it. Never mind. I, I apologize to that man. But that's I asked him. You know, I yeah. <laughs> I said like MVP level on media day, yeah. and then like he was talking a bit later, and he was like, you know, top five. I was like, damn, we <laughs> see the we see the vision, huh? And I, I actually felt a little bad when I asked him like, hey, like MVP level, because I was like, oh, that seems like a bit much. And yeah. then he was like, give all of it to me. <laughs> and he's just been taking it since right. then. Before we get to Pascal, Scotty Barnes has, he's he's been quietly excellent, I think. Yes. And it's like, he, he refuses to score more than like 15, 16 points a game, even though his fingerprints are all over every single win, except for the one where he's out of the game, right? But it's it's been fantastical to watch him not only figure out more of the half-court passing, but he's been much better defensively. He's been a really heady cutter. And he's still, I'm pretty sure, shooting over 50% from three. What do you what do you make of this start from Scotty Barnes? Um, he's doing a lot of the stuff that really worked well in um post-All-Star game. Whereas he, Pascal, last year you saw Pascal sort of take the mantle from Fred and become our primary distributor. Um Scotty has really good feel for the game. He's able to come with a flash cut. He's able to get level with Pascal when the defense is collapsing on him. And he's able to score in such unique and um, like like junkyard ways that he's able to rack up points very easily. And even when Pascal's out of the lineup, the level of passing that he's probably gotten to is something I, I didn't expect. He's I, I don't think he's ready to carry all bench lines for the rest of the season but he's able to still get people in spots that most people twice as old as him aren't able to, to, to do uh, in their ninth or 10th year. He's a really special passer. And uh, the biggest thing that I probably wanted to see from him was defense, just because when he's playing well, there isn't a bad, real bad defender on the floor. Mm-hmm. It, it offers a lot, of, a lot of trouble for defenses, and he's very big. And he he's able to get into passing lanes. And once he gets in transition, we're going to see a no-look pass and they're going to score. So really happy with everything he's he's done. You probably don't see it from statistical level, but the efficiency's gone up. He's been a better defender. And I think that bodes well like in a playoff situation where you're going to need a secondary option in terms of playmaking to to create other opportunities because those defenses are going to they're seeing what Pascal's doing and they're going to start. I think we saw it actually a bit with um, the Heat where they decided that Pascal's just not going to score on them. And we're going to need that other um, release valve to create for others. That's I love that you brought that up because that is something I talked about a bit was that when Scotty got injured, the type of defense that the Heat were playing where they extend that shell and they pinch in on Pascal, it puts a lot of pressure on three-point shooters to take those uncomfortable out-of-rhythm shots because it's like one pass away and a closeout is going to be there. And if you pump and go, the rotation's going to come behind it. And it's just, it's keeping everything kind of above the break. But when they're extended out, that also means that they're ripe for a guy to kind of duck in and muck it up in the paint. As you said, like a, a junkyard scorer like Scotty, they didn't have that to toss into because they kind of extended that shallow to Pascal. If Scotty would have been around for that game, and we saw this against the 76ers in game one too, is that, okay, they play that defense, right? They're, it's a very soft zone, and they put a weak defender on Pascal so that everybody has these help principles. Embiid is in the middle. Bam is in the middle. Scotty is the guy because OG, we're going to talk about him. He's been fantastic, better than most people could have hoped. But OG isn't the guy to go and challenge those guys repeatedly. 
Scotty is the he's the salve. He's the answer to those types of defenses. It's it's very nice. Not only you mentioned the defense better, obviously. We saw it in last year's playoffs. He wasn't a weak link. That's really important. It's important not to have a guy be like that. But he's even improved past that point. And he he adds a you know a dynamism to the offense, not only in the transitional play, but also against different types of defenses in the half court. We we have a friend, James, who's obsessed with rhythm and, and pace of play. I've seen it kind of mentioned, kicked around, is that Scotty does a really good job when the ball is in his hand of keeping pace and rhythm as the decision maker. I haven't noticed that too much because it's hard to divorce all these transition possessions from the half court. And I also have to see what it looks like when the Raptors aren't shooting really, really high percentages from three in these droughts. But have you noticed anything like that so far? Rhythm. I, w- I would say, it, like you said, it's kind of hard to like differentiate the transition stuff. Because you when Scotty has the ball in transition, it feels different than any other person on the yes. team. Yes, yes. You notice the rhythm and everybody is running out because he can make passes at all over the court. And he's willing to separate through people or go over anybody. So it just creates an impossible situation for the defense. In the in the half court, I've seen he's been able to face up a little bit better. His handle's gotten a little better. So that's led to him being able to utilize his passing. But I think every I would I would gauge it against what we were seeing with Pascal, and that's like um a maestro going at work right now. So it's, if anyone's really in rhythm, it's probably him. Yeah, it's it's a different type of rhythm, but it's a rhythm unto itself. It's like weave, bob, you know, penetrate, penetrate, pop out, make the pass. Yeah, um, I, I asked Scotty about this after the last game, what he looks to attack in isolation. I'll put the video up here. You can hear him talk about what he's looking to attack and then come back to Trey and I. And we'll be talking about Pascal Siakam, I think. When it comes to how you attack off the balance in those isolations, you can go to the bully drives a lot, go into the post ups, but... When you're trying to get past the original guy, you look to the top for it. What are you trying to attack? What am I trying to attack? I'm just trying to, I would say, I'm just really trying to find different ways to try to get by him, uh, get into a different combo, then probably try to attack the top foot, uh, try to make him open up, and then go, give him a bump, and then try to make the defense commit so then I can find different ways to penetrate the get to the basket or kick out the shooters. So Pascal Siakam, I kind of want to, on this podcast, in describing leading up to this, it's hard to avoid kind of throwing the flowers at Pascal. So we don't have to do a deep dive into it. People are well aware of how most people feel, but I thought a unique exercise might be to, if you can remember, recall what your expectations or thoughts were for Pascal Siakam in 2019-20 prior to the season. Max contract, just signed. 2020-21, bubble, just passed. 21-22, you know, the Tampa season is in the past. This year, all this kind of stuff. If, if you want to, we'll go back and forth, and we'll start with you, 2019-20. 2019-20, so we just won. He had a really good finals. I was probably expecting he could average 20 a game and make the all-star team. I probably have been really happy. And that was... That happened plus. So yeah, that happened plus. So he he exceeded that too. And that's that was that's kind of like a humble. Those are humble expectations. I, I would say. I, I think like when you win a championship, and we have we haven't won multiple, so I wouldn't know this feeling. But, um, 
every, everything's kind of golden. Like he signed the max contract, and I know that it was like it was a bit contentious just because he's only had half a season where he really showed some star level qualities and that final series. But um, he he exceeded all expectations. He showed that he could he could be uh, one of the premier players of the league. And although like the the bubble didn't go exactly how everybody wanted to go, um, you still saw that. He was be he was defending at a high level, and they would have not they wouldn't have taken the Celtics to seven games if he still wasn't sh- providing that impact. Yeah, that's that's probably the most important thing I've talked. People who listen to this podcast for years know how I harped on Pascal's defense during that playoffs. He was one of the three best defenders across the whole NBA during those playoffs. That's that's the ceiling you're dealing with, and you know, no getting around it. The offense was abysmal. He didn't have anything. My thoughts leading into that season, I did not expect anything in the way of a pull-up. And he comes out open night, and he's canning pull-up threes, and then he cans like 37% of them until February. I'm like, damn. You know, everybody, everybody's saying Siakam's better than Tatum. That's when that conversation really it's started to pick up. It's I didn't agree with it at the time. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's... It's it's a very interesting conversation because of the age gap between them, but it, it was a fascinating one, and I was just astounded by his steps. I never I never mind when guys get big contracts because I think you just have to get one really good contract, and that's your star player, and then that guy mostly carries you to titles. That's that's how the NBA has worked. I don't care if a guy like Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday or Pascal Siakam, these secondary guys, get paid a bunch. So Pascal got the max. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I hope he keeps playing well. And then he was way better than I thought. After the bubble, wh- what were your thoughts? You know, just got the bubble done. We have that weird-ass season. You know, Malachi Flynn's coming to the team. It's Tampa time, you know. So after the bubble, my heart is broken, obviously. Just, it was a tough series. You think the Raptors are, had a chance to make the playoffs or to make the finals, and they gave the Lakers hell every time they played them. But it didn't happen. Heading... Into the next year, you they have roughly the same team. They don't have the bigs that they had. But Pascal, it looks like he's going to be able to take whatever he did in the first half of the season and extrapolate that over a full year with more experience, more on and so, so forth. But I don't think I expected all first team or second team all NBA. I wasn't expecting a huge jump, but mostly to just take that same play, do it over a full year, make, make all NBA. And the Raptors are our first and second seed, most likely with Aaron Baines um, holding the fort down for Marc Gasol. That's, that's very optimistic when I think about that team. Yeah. I, I was probably thinking top four at that point in time, if I remember correctly. And and also the Raptors, they had, what were they, like 17 and 19? Maybe, maybe it was like 20 and 21, and they were like the fifth seed. The East yeah. was in such a weird place. And then there was that demarcation. And everything fell to the wayside. And I was somebody, I look back on my work fondly at this time. I know a lot of people are familiar with that big Scotty piece I did where I went through every possession and was like, hey, here's what I figured out about his game. I did the same thing for Pascal in the Tampa season. I went through every possession. I was counting, you know, what's what's he having success with all this kind of stuff. And the process is, re- it's not as good, but it's really similar to what we're seeing now. 
And that's why I was such a staunch supporter of Pascal throughout the summer, throughout that season, throughout last season. The early part is like he's found the process that's going to reward his game at the end of whatever this is. When that touch finally comes back around, when the oddities of his game kind of sort themselves out, he's found a way to impact and beat guys and draw defenses that isn't just beating people off the dribble. Yeah, It's a manipulation with his size and some of his outlier skills. And I felt really good about Pascal. And it was <laughs> repeated gut punches to see that everything broke wrong. The the game winners rolling out. Just the the terrible luck and the fact that most people at that point in time did not, did not want to acknowledge the steps he was making. Because his game looked different. Numbers were still there to some degree. But the Raptors... Geez, that season they were bad, dude. <laughs> they they were so bad. It's one of the worst seasons in the history of the franchise. And I've I've seen awful seasons, but that, that just it just because you thought that there was opportunity to at least make another run, and they every literally everything went wrong. It's you could imagine. It was so tough to make sense of because nobody. The only thing that makes sense is that they just weren't cohesive that they didn't sleep in their own beds, that they did not have their home stadium. Because it's like, these guys didn't lose skills. Fred Van Vliet wasn't the worst player. Pascal wasn't worse. Kyle, marginally. But like, it's, none of, Norm was the best version of himself ever. They they had working NBA players who all individually were finding statistics and were putting up numbers, and it just completely fell to the wayside. It was insane. Uh, 2021-22, I'll go quickly. I was expecting not all NBA because I thought he was going to be out for a while, but I was expecting all NBA level play. I didn't expect him to overwhelm and lead the league in isolations, closeouts and minutes played, but he seemingly has an endless motor and played his way into an all NBA spot, which blew my mind. But uh, that was me feeling very justified about the coverage that I had given over the past few years. What was yours? Um, Not expecting all NBA. Similarly, because of the injury issues. You've been hurt. <laughs> and probably not as opt- optimistic heading into the season. I, I was expecting, like, battling out on the plan and hopefully getting in. But um, I, I was wrong. Like, he he became the player that everybody wanted him to to be. Like, you've seen those situations, like, in the bubble where Jay, the, the Celtics are able to pinch it. Jalen Brown is able to absorb those bumps and – Mm-hmm. know that he's going to spin and the defense is there. Whereas now or that season, he that's a, a corner pass or that's a, a pocket pass to the big or that's a floater where he was doing that throughout the entire season. That's probably was one of the biggest reasons where you saw um, Scotty get so comfortable right away, even when there was that huge transition with him coming back into the lineup, whereas he, he's able to find him in so many different spots and use his feel for the game to manipulate all the other defenders around around the court. So I would say he blew blew expectations in general. I was probably expecting a similar play to 1920, just hoping that season roughly would, would go the same, but he was probably a top 15 player throughout that season. And he, mm-hmm. and I think what we saw heading into the deadline that they believed that too. And they invested in him and got Thad Young as well to bolster the big, bolster big investment, right? Big. <laughs> You I you saw Derek White, you were pounding the floor. I know oh. you were. 
the every every deadline I wake up thinking something amazing's gonna happen. Um but that Gasol. 20- Gasol is pretty yes, good. That's true. That I was very happy that day. That's actually probably one of the greatest ever in the context yes. of like trade deadline stuff. That was a really weird day because there was stuff going on that Kyle might be traded for him too. <laughs> they like, they like they made it seem like I can't remember if it's Michael Grange. Mike, I love you. Uh but they People, I can't remember if it's Michael's reporting, Josh's reporting. Somebody made it seem as if the Raptors were about to swap Valanciunas and Lowry with Conley and Gasol. And to me, that sounded radical. I was yeah. like, on a team with Kawhi, you're going to swap out like these guys? You're going to swap with Kyle Lowry? Who make, like, because Kawhi to that point was still, and you can even see it if you go back and look at the touches um, in the on the Raptors during that season, Kawhi's touches were so low compared to what his output. It's because Kawhi wasn't part of the offense. Kyle was running things with his guys. Kawhi would insert himself and score when he was like, I think we need to score. That sorted itself out to some degree during the playoffs, but there was still, they were polarized. It was such a weird functioning offense. And I don't think Mike Conley could have made that work the way that Kyle Lowry did. I certainly don't. But Gasol, to his credit, especially in like these hedge and trap scenarios above the break in the finals, did things against with his hands and a little bit of foot speed positioning, did things that JV probably never would have been able to do. That was such a good trade. Wow. And and JV's great, by the way. JV's one of my favorite Raptors ever. It was a very tough trade. It was very bittersweet, I would say. But um, when it happened, wait, when when it happened, what were your thoughts? JV's out the door, Gasol comes in. Were you saying he's washed? I think we're. I thought we we're gonna lose the trade. Yeah, <laughs> 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 well, we end up winning the title. So, I mean, that's you win the trade, and also like next year, I know the Raptors didn't get rewarded with the number two overall defense within all defensive selection, but OG or Gasol should have been on there. They were both yeah. so tremendous. But um, let's talk about OG then. Talk about selecting a guy for you know all defense team. OG for the first time in his career is beating the drum saying, I'm that dude put me on the ballot. I want to be there. I think I should have been there quoting himself as saying, Hey, I think I'm the best player in the league. Pascal saying, I think he's a defensive player of the year candidate. He can be that guy. Everyone's saying, Hey, look at, look at our defensive star. He's tremendous. And then OG backing that up by stealing like 18 steals a game or something like that. He, He leads the NBA in steals. I believe at this point, He's very high up there in deflections. He also, I've counted like three gambles that didn't pay off over the course of eight games. I mean, he, he's been unbelievable. He blows up actions by himself. Like he's certainly, by the by the like catch-all statistics, he's up there. The ones that, you know, count defensive impact. But also by the eye test, I'm just like, this guy ruins everybody's night that stands across from him. He, he blows my mind. Uh, tell us how he blows yours. <laughs> um for years i've i've been the biggest probably lg fan in terms of like his defensive impact and did you did you ever have because we know how you structure your name on on twitter it's always trey and then one of your you know current takes you know part of your (laughs) you know the take uh i guess library for trey was yours ever anything related to og um, OG is better than OG is a better defender than your favorite defender. Pretty good, <laughs> pretty good. And that's that still holds true. To be honest, 
he's such a unique player where it's like when you look at like the Raptors uh, lineup, he's like the heaviest player on the floor. He's their biggest player, which is absurd. And he's able to defend wings. He's able to go on guards. And he's also able to go into situations where he's taking, giving Precious and Pascal possessions off where he's guarding the opposing team's big, which is unheard of, to be honest, in the league right now. It's probably him and Precious that only do it, which is crazy because they're on the same team. Um, I think the biggest thing this year that we're probably seeing is that, A, like, a lot, the defense is translating to actual, like, um, counting stats where he's getting a lot of steals. Mm-hmm. And the Raptors are getting into um, a lot more possession, a lot more transition possessions because of it. So I think it's easier to the eye. But the fact that he has zero um, all defensive selections is ridiculous. And I think hopefully this year it changes. We saw the San Antonio game, five steals, one block. Every single one of those went the other end. The Raptors scored two points per possession on those possessions. They scored every time. That level of defense to offense and what he's been able to do so far this season, basically unprecedented. To see a guy who, like, we're talking about a guy who's really been selfless offensively. He's not been featured a ton. He and Fred have taken it on the chin saying there are... Pascal is emerging. Uh, Scotty has been so sharp. He just needs to make decisions with the ball in hand. And Gary, when he gets the ball, is in catch-and-shoot situations, so just shoot it. Like, he's shooting 48% from three on catch-and-shoots. Shoot the ball. Gary doesn't need to create. Just shoot it when you touch it. And OG is supplementing his own numbers by saying, don't worry about me on offense. Like, I'll just steal the ball and get a dunk for myself. Like, I'll do it a couple times a game. But even when he does, um, like, he offers a unique, like, um, problem for the defense where yes, most 3 and deep – I'm not going to call him that. I'm not going to call him yeah. that. That's the touch word. But um, most players that are in those catch-and-go situations, they're probably pulling up for a dribble two. They're not going all the way to the rim. Typically, they're poor finishers or that's not their game. Um, the typical wing player cannot – stay on him one-on-one going to the rim you have to collapse the defense and although some of the you've seen the last couple games that's trans translating to better finishes but he's able to create advantages simply because of his natural size and able to separate with strength that he's able to find opportunities that leads to um pascal pascal getting pinched down and guarded he's taking it and maintaining the actual advantage and then hitting other players in the corner for additional possessions and making sure that they are able to score, which is crazy with someone with his sort of three-point um, volume and um, typical like player arc or player archetype. And, and one of the best cutters in the NBA. And and if you don't agree that much, then at least in the Eastern Conference, we're going to talk about another great cutter later on, Jaden Ivey, for what it's worth. But, <laughs> you know, in addition to that, people have played basketball You've played that dude, that woman, whoever you're playing against, that was stronger than you. Yep. And you and you felt it. And when OG doesn't get all the way past the dude, and that and everybody's trying to get to that spot, everyone's trying to beat the other dude there. You feel it when you're on the wrong end of that, of that, you know, that strength deficiency. OG continues at 250, dude. He continues to put dudes in the mixer. And when they take that bump. They like they lean back like Fat Joe, you know. They they feel <laughs> a lot. It, it's been kind of crazy, but I'm so excited. He he's gonna make all defense this year at the very least. I'm almost certain of it. I wrote a couple of years ago 
that I expected OG to get Defensive Player of the Year the same year he got his first all-defense selection, just like Marcus Gasol did because he's not a popular name, but he's yeah. going to have such a big year. I think this might be that take coming to fruition. Not to make it about me. It's OG's story. I'm being uh, self-indulgent, obviously. Uh, the bench, we've talked about Boucher. We've talked yeah. about Precious. We've talked about quite a few different people, but the bench, crazy enough, has been winning minutes this season. Now, it's still a small bench. It's not like a big five-man unit, It's which we'll talk about with Golden State to some degree later on. But this is a bench that has a couple guys they really trust, not for the same minutes every game, but minutes in every game. I'm curious what you make of it. I, I think, like you said, we don't have a very big bench, but two of, two of those players in the, in the lineup are extended stars. Boucher and, and Precious, you can throw into any lineup, but you're getting a level of versatility that you wouldn't see out of anybody else's bench typically just because of the the sheer size that they have and, and offensive skill. But um, I think the, the big key is when auto comes in, you're offering um, a level of shooting that's very reliable and you're still maintaining the same sort of structure and size that you're looking for. And um, with Scotty or Pascal, it seems like they're going to be the primary distributors or, or offensive hubs typically, he's going to be someone that you cannot, um, you can't run off of just simply because you saw in the finals, he'll hit, he'll hit those threes and he'll, they'll take you out of games. So I think with those three, you're giving yourself um, three, three players that are able to insert in any lineup and maintain your same sort of vision and, and um, goal with the actual team. And also um, they're just funky. <laughs> they're very different. You need the actual size to be able to match up with them. Um, most people, are, most people's benches, you typically have those players that are a spark club point guard, the additional shooter off of the bench. The Raptors are bringing a, a 6'10 <laughs> <laughs> forward who's going to grab offensive rebounds. And those players are, are, won't be able to, to match with what Boucher and Precious are doing which is why when both of them are on the floor, they're killing teams, just simply because it's just an odd matchup and pairing that no one had, no one has prepared for having 10, 6, 9 dudes on the roster before. It's, it's a great point you make, and one that coaches, players always allude to. It's, it's imprecise, but everybody feels it, the truth in it, is that you set the tone, you play your game, you dictate pace, you dictate style, and the Raptors through eight games, have not yet failed to dictate style or pace when they bring those dudes in. And that's a credit to not only Chris, but Precious especially. Otto, I'm certain, will help. I, I think a really great point uh, to make about Otto is that he disrupted that play. He came from above the break on this, on this. I can't remember who was driving baseline. It was on the Spurs. And they tried to make that kind of lay down pass, that backhanded drop pass. And Otto came from above the break and broke it up. And intuitively, you would think, don't leave your man. But a guy who's played so many possessions at the NBA level, championship level possessions too, is a guy who's seen that baseline drive, that wraparound, however many times, knows he has additionally like really long defenders to help him out in the paint that are blocking that lane out to the guy above the break. Voice crack. Anyway, <laughs> he, he so he knows that. And additionally, he knows I'm moving down here. Not only do I have a chance to disrupt this, 
but I'll also be in a better position to close out to the corner. And that's something that you just have to see a certain amount of defensive possessions to kind of chunk that, the neuroscientific process of chunking in your brain for you to be able to act on that. And he's acting on these defensive, these intuitive defensive uh, things in, in that first game. Really nice to see. Hopefully the shooting comes around, but it's nice to see that that defensive decision making. The bench, I'm very happy with so far. And I'm very happy to see whether it's Banton, whether it's Birch, whether it's Flynn, um, however Coloco fits into this once everybody's healthy, all that kind of stuff, what that shapes out to be. But I think they got a stew going, dude. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? No, they're a really good team. Um, I, I would like, like like you said, like I would like a, a guard off of the bench to emerge. We, we've seen them. They've tried Delano and it. you've seen some sort of success, but it, it hasn't really translated from the preseason. Yeah, he had a he had a good game last yeah. night, but the actual important games they've just lost his minutes. It's been tough. Yeah, defensively, I would say he's probably struggled, especially a guy his size probably should be guarding wings, but just with everybody and the roster construction that we have, he's guarding people usually much quicker than him, which offers its own problems in itself. Uh, Malachi has obviously been injured. He's come come back and had. Small itty bitty spurts, and and been able to have some sort of success with it. But um, I if I got my wish, it'd be Jeff Doughton um, getting some minutes and actually able to show off a lot of the stuff that tr- he did in summer league, he did in preseason. He of those three guys, he's the only one that can get two feet in the paint, um, make decisions with the actual ball, and offer some shooting, which will alleviate a lot of those lineups where you. You're stuck in situations where you're playing a a, a Banton, Barnes, Precious, um, Boucher lineup, which can work, and you can bludgeon teams with offensive rebounding. But there's times where they throw a zone at you, and then you need someone that to make decisions, hit shots. And I think Jeff, if given the opportunity, will probably emerge and be the lead guard off the bench. Jeff Delton. The Pull Up Tray podcast is a Jeff Doughton podcast. Yes, I'm very excited for once the 905 season gets started because I want to write about Jeff. I want to talk to him. I want to do a whole feature. But players don't like if you're like, hey, can I write about you? And they haven't been playing. They're like, why the hell are you here? There's nothing to talk <laughs> about. Because I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell his life story or anything like that. But I'm excited when I finally get to start writing about Jeff Doughton's game. That's something I'm looking forward to and something we'll talk about more on this podcast, of course. But another thing about this podcast is that people listen to the Reaction Podcast have heard me saying, hey, you're joining me at 1.30 in the morning, at 2 in the morning. I just got back from Scotiabank, did the, you know, the Rexdale bus route, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. A, a, you know, a side effect of being in transit after coming home from Scotiabank, of doing way more work this year for Raptor stuff so that the premium users uh, feel that their money is worthwhile is that I'm missing more league-wide games. Trey, I mean, he he does his 9 to 5, and he's fantastic at it. But he makes more time for the basketball where I'm, man, I, I, can't, I can't even get there. So he's here to kind of cool us in on the league-wide stuff, and we're going to bounce off of each other for that. So, Trey, uh, the NBA at large, where, where do you want to start? Guide me on this one. Okay. Um, let's start with the teams that are struggling. There's, there's a bunch of teams that everyone probably expected to start out really hot and 
because they a lot of, like the Warriors, for example, they won a whole championship last year. The Sixers, a whole championship, yeah, a whole championship. <laughs> so the I can't believe they did. By the way, yeah. I, I can't believe that team. Oh, had we were yet. we were very wrong, very wrong about the finals. I think it was a unanimous that we all thought the Celtics were going to win. Yep. They, man, they fumbled. Anyway, anyway, Warriors, yes. Yeah. Um, I think with them, I probably underestimated the loss of Otto and um, Gary Payton would be on their, their defense. Um, their stars are still still one of the best in the league, if not the best currently, statistically. But, yeah, um, our friend our friend Keenan <laughs> figured yeah. that out the other day. <laughs> best offense and best defense. <laughs> yes, sir. But they're in a, a weird situation. You've kind of seen it with some of these Spurs teams that were transitioning into a new group where you saw those George Hill, um, George Hill teams, Kawhi coming in at certain points in time, um, where they're trying to get these young guys up to speed so that a they can transition through the Steph, Clay, Draymond era and have those guys take over eventually, but they're getting destroyed in their minutes constantly. Um, you have a guy in Wiseman that um, the Warriors have typically have been one of the more aggressive switching teams in the league, whereas he's a natural drop big, and they have to play totally different to his style, which typically leads to them losing minutes. Um, you have a guy like Kaminga, who's an enigma, who can do anything and everything on the floor, but it's complete chaos that hurts things as well. But I think they're going to be fine long term, eventually, but they're probably going to have to make a decision where this side is, is this current addition, um, is this current course um, longevity and chance to win a fifth title worth playing these kids and trying to do it a transition more smoothly? So Charlie Cummings, uh, Clay Theist 11 on Twitter, uh, I think he does a really good job writing about basketball. And he had a, a Twitter thread where he was kind of detailing why Wiseman is struggling a little bit in drop. And it, I've been saying for some time, for people who are fans of the Bouncing Around podcast, is that the hardest thing about being a big and defending is that you defend in proximity to the space on the court. You don't defend really because you're protecting something. Guards guard a guy. Wings guard a guy a lot of the time. And a lot of the help principles are around guarding a guy. But Biggs is about protecting the rim. So when the dimensions of the court change, every rotation you've ever made changes. The NBA court gets bigger. And you can see Wiseman struggling with how he's spacing that two-man game, like that cat and mouse stuff in drop. And it's he's always a little bit too high, so he gets beat. Or he's a little bit too low, so that drop-off pass to the big puts him in you know, he's backpedaled himself into the restrictive, the, the restrictive area, like stuff like that. And it's tough to watch a big struggle at that, which he has. But I still, man, if, if I had to pause it like, hey, this is what I think uh, James Wiseman is in the prime of his career. I don't think an all-star big, but I think he'll be a good big man. It's just tough for a team that comes off of, you know, not only contending, but winning, as you said, a whole championship to see them have to anchor minutes to guys who are so inconsistent. That, that's that been a little bit tough to see, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. So, and any other Warrior stuff? Do you, Kaminga, what did you think of Kaminga before the draft, by the way? Did you think something would develop that hasn't? Uh, has he been worse at something? Like, what's what's the deal there? Um, I've, I've watched too many Ignite games that I want to, <laughs> that I want to admit. So... 
Uh, I wouldn't say I, I, I could see the vision. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest Kaminga fan just simply because a lot of the skill didn't correlate. You saw what the Ignite, the Ignite tried to tailor their offense directly to him and off of Jalen Green for the first few games. And he had, he, some, he was the big deal. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And he had some success, but um, he's not consistent in the ways that is probably needed for a, a wing, a, 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 cre- a creation-oriented wing that everyone is seeing. He's able to create with strength. He's able to actually – he's actually a very good passer when he is able to navigate and see exactly what's going his way. But I, I think uh, a player like him would probably serve best on a team that he can play through mistakes and is able to um, see and identify, like, the, the limits to his talent, essentially. Whereas in the Warriors, he's played in a very fixed sort of situation. He's sort of like – a run and jump wing to a degree where mm-hmm. you see that with guys like um, Hamadou Diallo, um, Derek Jones Jr., where they come in, they're instant energy, they're grabbing rebounds, they're running in transition. But um, I think it would serve best for him to be in a situation, and I know that's not reality, that he's able to play through things and see what his actual ability is and where he can probably fit in. So we talked about at the very start of all this how good the Warriors starters are. And being a run-and-jump player is very complimentary. Gary Payton also fits into this last season. A run-and-jump defending guard is a is a cool archetype. Um, I know some people resent it, like, you know, why is Bruce Brown getting gassed up? Why is Gary Payton Jr. getting gassed up? It's like, hey, listen, these guys coming through the back door of the league, give them their flowers. But Kaminga, when I watch his film, I'm always very intrigued by how his incredible, if you weaponize that motion, that run and jump aspect is that in all the gravity and all the pulling and tugging that the Warriors fixed motion offense kind of interprets the floor as like, hey, we're going to pull the weak side over here. The strong side's going to overload here. Like, let's just throw Kaminga at the rim and maybe we just throw the ball in the air. Maybe he'll find it. And they had a lot of success with that last year, but he's not good enough to justify that they shake any of those lineups up. And he also loses all of that viability the minute he's kind of with those bench players. That's the that's the tough part for me. Uh, Jordan Poole, what do you make of the the carry stuff? Huh? He's getting called for a bunch of them lately. I honestly didn't know that carry still still existed. To be honest, like the the level of creation that you see in the NBA, like everything is literally a carry. So I, I don't understand why he's particularly been. I probably could because like everyone sees his highlights and he, he's, he's literally he's a little more egregious <laughs> yeah. too, tr- truthfully he's literally holding the ball sometimes when he's doing like an in and out dribble but um I, I think it's one of those things like you see in the beginning of every year where they have points of em- emphasis and it gets phased out later throughout the year just simply because it ruins the entertainment of the game no one wants to hear calls from the ref and uh, although I like the little face that Jordan Poole made I, I'd rather see him taking a shot yeah, yeah. Um, Pascal's cross that he he loves that move. There's that Evan Mobley clip where Evan Mobley almost fell over. But Pascal's throw cross, that's a carry. Like you know, like you can't keep a live dribble after you boom. But that's not nearly as egregious as Pool. Pool, especially since Pool uses it in combos. Yeah, and it's like the guys who hang dribble are the ones who are going to get called, which is why Pascal is not really going to get called because he does like that throw cross. It's fine. It operates as a cross more or less. But the guys who hang and then wait for commitments from the defense before putting it back down again, 
those are the ones that are going to get called. And Jordan Poole is not a hang dribble merchant, but he certainly <laughs> enjoys, a, you know, a good hang dribble. Uh, other NBA stuff. What, what else are we talking about here? Um, teams that have excited me, the Troy Pistons. Okay. Um, they're very competitive. Um, the really cool thing is, like, entering the year, they put a lot of faith in, like, these two rookies are going to, like, Jalen Duran and um, Jaden Ivey are going to play a lot of minutes and they're going to try to help us win games. And they've kind of been doing that. I'm, I'm praying for the day that Jalen Duran plays over Isaiah Stewart, but but hopefully that should come. But he he's one of those bigs where you he they enter the league and you understand exactly how they're going to win. He He's one probably one of the more athletic bigs in the league probably from day one. He's a great shot blocker. He can get up up and down the floor, and he offers some passing versatility that many run-and-jump bigs aren't able mm-hmm. to do. And then I think what was really cool at what Troy Reaver did was um, – we saw last year with Cade that um, he struggled a bit early in the year just simply because he's a very big guard but m- might not be the quickest. And they they implemented Marvin Bagley and helped him actually score more with, with screens. Um, another way to actually um, put more pressure on the defense to open up things is getting a guy that generates tons of pressure on the D, can catch the ball in catch-and-go situations and score. And Jaden Ivey fits that to a T. He's he's was probably the most athletic guard in the in in the draft last year. He gets to the lane very easily. He he can finish with both hands. And now that when when Cade is coming off of that screen, he's using he's using his mid range jumper a lot more, and that's showing success. But he's also kicking out for a catch and go situation. So scrambling defense where Jaden Ivey is making plays and making decisions. And it's probably why you're seeing guys like um, Bogey, for example, hit a billion threes on teams, which is really cool to see. So once you said these are the guys you want to talk about, I went and did my little research. I've only seen one Pistons game live, and it was last week. So I haven't seen a bunch, but I went and updated myself because I thought, well, there's something to look at here. And I wanted to kind of observe Ivy's cutting instincts. Holy moly. It's it's not often you see the guards who are good on ball as really great cutters. By the way, he's above the 90th percentile in rim frequency. And he also, it's a lot of it is off his own dribble, but he's got a great nose for a cut. It's not even, it's not even like a 45 cut when the defense is collapsing, nobody's looking, but it's that, that baseline, like the Wade cut, you know, the pick and rolls coming around to the strong side. And so the strong side is thinking that that defender on the strong side is thinking, okay, I have to stay in the corner because a lot of these passes shoot out to the corner. And Ivy's like, let me get back door, take that little shovel pass and dunk on the big. It's a lot of rookie guards don't do that stuff. They want the ball to come to them. They want to wiggle. They want to do their thing. Ivy is doing both. And while the efficiency numbers, he's not putting up huge stats or anything but he's putting up good enough stats that you can just look at the process and be like, holy moly, there's something good going on here. And then Duran, when I was watching him, I was just like, oh yeah, this is a guy who tracks steps. And, and not even just as like the help side guy who's like kind of peeking over watching a guard think they have their dude when they do, but they don't have him. And he kind of boom, pop, bats it off the glass. But also seeing, you know, a couple of possessions where it's a controlled closeout stepping sideways with a guard they try and get around they try and sneak it in on the other side of the rim bah! it's just pretty good mobility and as everybody knew 
a lot of pop off of that that two foot jump. He can really get up and protect the rim. Uh, but yeah, I, I need to watch more Detroit. If I'm not, you're going to Detroit for a game, yes? Yes, next next month. Uh, I probably see more Pistons games because I went to school in Windsor, so I I probably see more Pistons games. Than I've seen Raptors games live. So, so, what's the what what date is that? Is that game? Do you know? I have no idea, actually. Let's see. Hmm. Next month. Oh, at Detroit, the fourteenth. That's is that the game? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, in, enjoy that game. You're going with. Uh, People will obviously recognize him from this podcast well, but it's Fandy Arbear Haney. The the boys are linking up. So they that'll go. be fun. What are you what are you looking forward to most? Um in terms of I've been to many of those games. Like uh a Detroit Raptors game feels like a home game. Mm-hmm. Just simply because um a lot of people from from the the universities close there travel travel there to watch the teams. And like it feels like um, compared to Scotiabank, it feels like more of a college environment where it's more rowdy. The arena feels smaller too, so you can feel the energy of the arena. So I think with especially because the, the, the I don't remember the last time the Pistons have have lost to us. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's been some time, yeah. I think we're, I, they swept us last year. I don't know if we beat them the year before. We I'm pretty sure the Raptors won one game during the Tampa season, but it wasn't in Toronto. So nobody got to, and it was also in the midst of this terrible, but they've lost like what, nine of the last 10 or something like that, or maybe even crazier. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, I, I've been to probably, I think two or three of those type of games and the half of the arena, like the arena split 50, 50. So it feels like you're going to like this college environment where like the rival schools coming in and people are yelling at each other back and forth. So it's super fun. What's the Scotiabank vibes, if you had to describe it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, w- I would say the Scotiabank vibe is probably... Let me, how do I put this? I, let me not lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on, moving on. What, what else are we talking about? League-wide stuff. Uh, last, last topic of the day, I suppose. Okay. Um, another team that I'm really enjoying... And one thing you probably guys will know, like um, the, our group chat makes fun of me for for probably loving like the young teams the most out of everybody. Like I, I'll sit and watch. Um, who's a bad team last year? I probably the Hornets. The Hornets have, have been my <laughs> the Hornets have been my mistress for for two or three years, and I've watched probably like eighty games of them of the last two years. But. Um, Orlando, Orlando is probably, if you like what the Raptors are doing, Orlando is doing, Orlando's offering the same things, but it's very rare the type of skills that are coming out of their main two players. You have a guy like Franz, who's 6'10", moves like a wing, is able to come off screens, hit shots. He's able to then take advantages and create from there and offer passes and also score from all three levels. And then you have a guy like Paolo who's come into the league and is playing like he's been in the league for 10 or 15 years. He's very advanced in the mid-range, and he's taking advantage of anybody collapsing in because thinking that their their guys won't be able to shoot because they're all 6'10". He's able to then get them involved with, with passes, similar to what you're seeing with uh, a guy like Pascal, obviously not to the same level. But they what they have going is that I think they'll be able, once they have proper guard play and shooting around those guys, they're going to offer a lot of the same 
problems that the Raptors are giving for teams, and it's really fun. I man, the whole Paolo thing, uh, as, as Stephen A. Smith refers to him, Pablo Banquero, <laughs> for whatever reason. But it's it's really fun to see a team you know similarly sized to the Raptors, except doing it almost in like the completely opposite fashion within that that structure. Like there is nobody even close on the Raptors who moves the way Franz does. Franz is a guy who he's coming around a screen. He'll get the edge and he'll knife through it. You know, like he's, he's not going to be like this plotting change directions, overwhelmed with size. You'll feel his size once he's at the rim and you're trying to block him. But when he's kind of phasing through defenders or like, you know, a scheme, nobody on the Raptors does that. And that doesn't mean nobody on the Raptors is better. It just means it's a unique profile it's a unique way to kind of score the basketball he has that a palo as you said extremely advanced and way i know people it's too early for comps jabari versus palo but palo looks like everything that a number one pick is supposed to look like you know Cade even you know he wasn't like blowing teams out of the water when he, I, and by the way, Cade, number one, Cade is fantastic, but he didn't have the statistical profile. He struggled somewhat. Cade is, Paolo just walked out there and was like, I'm him. I'm that dude. Like now from game one until I retire, that's rare. And that's typically, that's, that's a good way to build a hall of fame resume is start early. And he, man, is he starting early? Oh, bull bull too. Bull bull agenda. Wait, wait, okay. So, marketer, sell me on this. What's the pitch, dude? What's the pitch on Bull Bull? Imagine you um, see a lot of the things that Boucher does. Able to block shots, can hit threes, um, rebounds at a really high level. But he also can be the point guard of the team and deliver passes from the top of the key, come off of a screen, and then make plays from there. Yeah, but have you asked have you asked Chris if he can do that stuff? He'll probably say yes, dude. You know? <laughs> he's he's probably I know he's bounced around the league with with a lot of injuries, but every time that he's in their lineup, you you run into a situation where they'll force you middle, um, and you're met with a seven two guy with an enormous wingspan. He's blocking literally everything. And I think currently in the league, he probably has the highest block percentage, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. It's it's absurd. Yeah. And yeah, this is always, there's kind of, um, this is a conversation around when Yama and Scoot is like, do you reach a diminishing return on height where it, it gets a little bit less functional because you're, you know, what's the term? Uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the thing. Uh, your your gravity, your 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 center of mass. What's well, your center of gravity? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Center of gravity, center of mass, something well, like that. Okay. Yeah, center of gravity is too high, so you can't move people around on the court. You know, so you kind of get bumped everywhere, and you know you're so tall that you can't fill out properly. But then you see bull, as you said, force a guy middle. Bop, everything's getting blocked. That's that's pretty crazy. I don't. Ugh. If he has an awesome career, we're all going to be better for it. That, that's yeah. that's my take on Bull Bolt, despite not having seen much. Just the highlights, basically. But, man, uh, any any parting shots around the league or the Raptors before we get out of here? Um, I'll say something about the Raptors. I think um, everything that we've seen over the last eight games should give everybody um, optimism to think that 
because I know a lot of the discourse around this team is that they're sort of in the middle where they have this this core of five or six players and there's people on the side that we should go after a star, we should stay in the middle. I, I think one thing that you should be assured of is that everything that we, we wanted Pascal to be, he is. So regardless of whatever position that you probably have wanted, he's rising the tide of anything that everybody has dreamed about. So um, whether you want to invest into a, a star player, he's given notion that probably another star player would want to play with him just because he's been one of the 10 best players in the league this year, or that he can take this team to, to a level that probably no one expected. So I think we're in a great position regardless of how things go. That's that's a great point to make is that, of course, if there's a way to trading for stars is usually a pretty good idea in the NBA. I'm not positing a trade. I'm not putting any forward. I, that's it's typically it's a decent idea. However, you look at this team and you say they're in the middle. They might not be Th- this yep. team. They might sneak into that contender status if enough things break right. And some of the things that had to already have. And like Pascal being a top 10 player is like 70%, 75% of the way there. There's just other things that need to develop that are smaller than that. So yeah, I think that's a, a great place to uh, to end off the first episode of Pull Up Trey. Uh, addendum uh, Raptors Weekly Podcast, whatever it is. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Sincerely, we will be here twice a month to talk hoops. Trey, of course host myself co-host as you can see on screen and uh yeah trey any any parting shots for the for the listeners the viewers um don't don't hate me (laughs) don't hate me please um (laughs) dude they're gonna love you come on now Uh, come on but yeah i'm i'm gonna try to bring a lot of this the same energy that me and samson naturally have in our everyday conversations and offer a perspective that maybe other people aren't looking at just because they're deep into most writers are deep into their team. They're not necessarily watching their team, every team casually. So offering um, a perspective that offers some insight into every other team and what current trends and cool things are happening in the league. Hell yeah. Um, I'm going to have to bombard you with once this comes out, all the, the comments that say, wow, Trey, Trey is great. I love this podcast. Just so you stop worrying about it. But listener, thanks for tuning in. Whether you got into this on the podcast or the YouTube channel, if the podcast, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for letting us talk to you for however long this is, like an hour and 10 minutes. Hope your commute was good, doing the dishes, what workout, whatever it is. Hope it's good. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. And if you're listening anywhere, just make sure to subscribe over at raptorsrepublic.com. It is the best Raptors coverage out there. If you want my written work, it's going to cost money. We've we've been really happy with the response with the, the subscribers so far. Thank you to everybody who has. I know a lot of you listen from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And uh, yeah, just uh, enjoy the rest of your day whenever you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a a blessed one and we'll see you.